0: Hello everybody and welcome to a special edition ExoLife Hangout. My name is Tony Darnell from deepastronomy.space and I say special edition because as many of you know we used to do these hangouts every two weeks on Wednesdays in cooperation with the Planets Foundation but we kind of ran out of resources to keep that up so now I try to do them whenever the opportunity arises. Uh, So the theme of these hangouts it, for those of you who don't know, is life in the universe, whether it's here on Earth or on some distant exoplanet in orbit around a star. And I'm really excited about today's hangout because we're going to be discussing the origin of life, a topic I care a lot about. <laughs> All of us should, actually. Uh, because uh, But primarily, we're going to talk today about what the current state of our knowledge is about how life arose on Earth. But later, we're going to extend that conversation to include what we can say about life on other worlds. And that, of course, will be speculative, but it'll be based on stuff that we know about Earth. Now, my my guest today really doesn't need an introduction because I think there's probably more people watching from his audience than watching from mine here on Deep Astronomy. My guest today is P.Z. Myers. He's a biologist and associate professor at the University of Minnesota in Morris. And he's also a prominent blogger, one one, uh, I've followed for over 10 years now, writing on (laughs) Fernigula, uh his personal feringula sorry i knew i'd screw it up (laughs) i read it all the time but i don't say it um (laughs) his personal blog which has been a mainstay for many of us watching i'm sure so uh but before i bring him up though i need let me tell you that we are streaming live on youtube twitch facebook and twitter which is periscope and we are simulcasting on also on uh, PZ's YouTube channel, uh, which if you can watch, so we're streaming to both channels at the same time. So we invite you to leave us questions and comments via any of those platforms, and I'll read them out as the hangout progresses. And we also have a Discord server, and the link to that is in the description box on my stream. So please feel free to join the conversation there as well. I got people already telling me I'm loud and clear, which is really always a a, a good sign. So, uh, so let me uh, go ahead and bring up. As soon as I find my cursor, there it is. Okay, there he is. Um, let me so let me welcome PZ uh, Myers. Welcome to our humble hangout, and thanks for taking time out to talk to us. I really appreciate it.
1: It's great to be here, and I'm I'm impressed with all the bits flying everywhere. (laughs) It took a long time
0: to get to this point, let me just say. (laughs) Okay, so I feel like before we get going in earnest, I need to set the stage for some context here of our discussion. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I've been posting videos on YouTube for over 12 years, and throughout that time, I've become obsessed with how life arose here on Earth. Specifically, I'm interested in the question of whether life is inevitable. Is life hard to make from ingredients that are not alive? And I also worry about something called a great filter, which is this thing which presumably keeps civilizations from forming. So uh, I will, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later on uh, in the Hangout. But but recently I saw on uh, PZ's video on that he titled... The origin of life? Question mark on demand. And while I didn't understand everything in that video, uh, it was then that I had the idea to invite him on a hangout to discuss this stuff directly. And so uh, that's so that's the context of this on this discussion. And uh, so now that I've set the stage, um, can you give us please a. a <laughs> He, when we were talking about the, the bullet points before we started this hangout, he's like, oh, so we're just going to do the easy stuff, right?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can you tell us, give us, a, give us a brief summary, if you wouldn't mind, of what the current um, sort of state of knowledge is about what conditions were like on the early Earth. I want to talk first about the conditions for life, and then maybe we'll talk about how you think life might arose from that. So what yeah. do we know about the conditions on early Earth? Uh, for life to form
1: yeah we 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 know we we know a fair bit about the geochemistry of the early earth, so that's that's pretty clear. Um, what's been happening though, is a change in how people think about the mechanism mechanisms behind the origin of life. so you you may know for many years you heard all about the RNA world and you heard about nucleotides, and you heard about this focus on the sequence. And what is happening now, uh, largely due to people like Bill Martin and Nick Lane, is that there's a shift in emphasis to more concern about metabolism. And what that gets down to is basic thermodynamics. Where is the energy coming from to drive the increase in information that had to have occurred occur in the generation of life? And – um if you look at original life researchers now, a lot of them are focused, not so much on chemistry of the early earth, but chemistry of deep sea events. And we're beginning to suspect that that's where life probably arose because the conditions were right, that what you have in deep sea events is a ready source of geothermal energy. So you got energy pumped into the system, uh, you've got processes that build up complex molecules, and then, um, you know, in our chat before we started this, you, you said you you suspected that life was difficult, and we're now suspecting once again that the origin of life was probably easy.
0: Really? Okay. Really. Uh, so, the early Earth, then, was not at all like the kind of Earth we know today, right? Correct. And, and there was probably not a lot of oxygen in the atmosphere, uh, uh-huh. the, was much warmer, but there was a lot of water. We had oceans. Correct. And so the focus then is on these areas deep in the ocean where there would be a lot of energy, a lot of heat coming up, yes. presumably, I guess, the, the active core of the earth, right?
1: And, and what we suspect is that life arose fairly rapidly, that we're talking, you know, within a hundred thousand, few hundred thousand years after the hadean, when the Earth had cooled down enough to allow liquid water, and th- at that moment, there were a bunch of chemical processes that generated the precursors to life, and then the evolution of life was a natural progression from there. So okay, wait a minute, you know, though.
0: You said that the, so the precursors obviously had to come first. They're precursors. Yes. At, in these vents, so we started Correct. with some chemistry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Basic chemistry, I would imagine that 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 somehow got more complicated and turned into organic chemistry with some kinds of goop.
1: Oh, we had organic, organic chemistry came first. So.
0: Really? Uh, oh, that's, yeah, that's not but, intuitive at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, you know, you you astronomers, you must know about things like carbonaceous chondrites and Murchison and meteorite and all that sort of thing. Um, and when you examine those, what you find is. Th- these amazingly complex organic molecules you find sugars you find amino acids you find nucleotides all in there in a jumble generated by non-biological processes and so the idea is that that these building blocks formed first and then what happened is exploitation of those by you know early replicators that, that we wouldn't even call life at this point, uh, just self-sustaining chemical reactions driven by the processes that generate all these interesting chemicals in the deep sea.
0: And that's sort of that's analogous to this primordial ooze we always hear about, right? Only it's near a, oh, an ocean. Oh no, we
1: don't. We we don't hear about. It. There's no primordial ooze. We don't talk, <laughs> we don't talk about that anymore. No, no. <laughs> primordial ooze is a 19th century idea that. Uh, well it's seen... not
0: coming out of nowhere i mean there was that exactly, famous yeah. experiment with that what was it, a Murray miller i think yeah uh, that did this in a lab they made this goop and and everybody said see we can do this easy
1: but that's yes, not what we're talking it... about here well it sort of is that's that's the whole point is that miller and... yes well miller and yuri's experiment was in aqueous know this was in a wet environment and so the idea there was that if you just if you just take a random mix of compounds that you might find in the earlier thing you know things like ammonia Mm -hmm. you you expect to find ammonia methane that kind of stuff and you mix it up with water and you provide a source of energy and what you will get is spontaneous assembly of more complex organic molecules
0: but not life
1: but not life no miller and yuri did not see life emerge Okay, so you're yeah. saying this
0: all happened pretty quick after the Earth yes. began, and what take us a little bit further? Now we've got the complex organic chemistry molecules, mm-hmm. nucleotides, all of this.
1: So you've got these get me, complex get me to life now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what you've got is uh, you. So you know, the old primordial ooze idea was that you'd have this soup that's just sort of sitting there, and things would exploit it. Right. Uh, and what we'd argue now is that instead, what's going on is that there are geochemical processes that are going that are constantly generating these building block molecules. So it's it's not a soup now. It's something that's that's an ongoing process that conceivably we could actually study today in deep sea vents that a lot of people would really love to get down there, but they're deep and they're hot and they're dangerous. But anyway, the idea is that it's going on there all the time. And and what these these reactions do is they pro- produce high-energy compounds or relatively high-energy compounds. So, for instance, alkali vents are rich in hydrogen. And, you know, if you're a physicist, you're familiar with the idea of mm-hmm. fuel cells and all that, and where you can use en- hydrogen to generate all kinds of energy and what we've got is volcanic processes that are d- generating hydrogen gas and hydrogen ions that are then bubbling through these mineral deposits and interesting things can happen uh, it's it's a matter of can the compounds that are present then bind to these high energy molecules to produce more complex Molecules. Can we combine molecules and build something new? Uh, and, and that's kind of where we're at—is trying to figure out what kinds of processes were going on. Now, do we expect? Do we expect this is universal? It may very well be, because, like I mentioned, the Murchison meteorite com- carbonaceous chondrites already have these compounds in them, so they're they're forming out there in outer space and they're floating around. And we just think that we've got an, an enrichment going on in the oceans of the earth. So this enrichment – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, what, you're asking – what about oh, enrichment? I just going
0: to – okay, so this sounds to me like – and you've already sort of corrected me on the primordial ooze bit. We're not really thinking about things that way anymore. Right. And it, the, another preconception that I have is that we go up to this progression that you've been describing, and then somehow, boom, there's a spark and we i'm getting a sense now you're going to tell me this is more of a spectrum a pro, it's, the process continues uh it's not yes. a discrete event this thing going from complex uh organ I'm not organisms but molecules and compounds into something that is life this isn't a yes. discrete event is that what
1: the Yeah thing? there's there's no sharp boundary between chemistry and biology which we biologists hate to admit to the chemists but it's true that there's just a continuum um, that, you know, biological organisms are just made of chemistry.
0: Okay. We're going to have to talk about what we, what we're calling life then, because now I'm imagining this progression of events happening. And then we've got some in, in intermediate states where Mm -hmm. we've got complex compounds and some life, but I mean, what would that be like? So let's talk about life a little bit. How do you define it to somebody like me? PZ, i am you party. Oh. I found out that you're a biologist. What <laughs> is life?
1: And this is where I made the comment that, yeah, we're going to talk about the easy <laughs> question. Right? Yeah. Um, you, you know, I, I teach cell biology, and the first day, that's what I ask the students to do, is to define for me what life means. And we get all kinds of answers, and it's, it's not a trivial question. No, it isn't. That... Um, <laughs> You know, typically, what we'll do is we'll, we'll we'll eventually get to the point where we say, "Okay, well, life is about replication, so you got to have replicators of some sort." Uh, but then, of course, you get into the boundary conditions. So, is is a virus alive? So that's that's the next question I'll ask them. You know, we we settled on this simple answer: it's okay, just things that replicate. But crystals can replicate. And we agree they're not alive, right? Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't respond in a particular way to stimuli in the environment. Uh, are viruses alive? Because viruses can only replicate when they co-opt the reproductive machinery of a living cell. And th- there's a whole range of things in between here where you could imagine uh, there's not, like, like you said earlier, there's not a sharp boundary. There's a continuum. And so we'd say that in the origin of life, you could imagine where we start off with, here's a bunch of building blocks. Here's a source of energy. They combine willy-nilly. Do they, do they get to the point where they can start replicating? Well, that was not instantaneous. You know, we, we think it took hundreds of thousands of years of gradual accumulation of increasing complexity, to produce a replicator that could sustain itself for a long period of time. Uh, one other thing we also try to assure everyone is we don't think it was DNA, RNA. Right now, everyone thinks, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of life on Earth, you think of DNA and you think of RNA and all those working together. That's right. Uh, and the current models of the origin of life are all metabolism first. And they say what we started with was probably metabolites things that reacted with each other and produced compounds that had catalytic activity and led to the synthesis of of new molecules. So you don't even need DNA and RNA for this. It's just pure catalysis driven by compounds that spontaneously generate under um, whatever the magic conditions were that allowed for life to emerge early in the history of Earth well that's not very
0: satisfying okay so yeah. we <laughs> we have <laughs> so i'm imagining okay so with the progression of the chemicals and the energy and the we we do have these sort of i can see now that we could have this continuum of existence where there are some things that we're replicating they may not replicate for long mm-hmm. or you know they may have to i don't know adapt in some way or replicate better but this this process would produce a continuum that goes from something that isn't alive to something that is alive, and by alive we mean something that metabolizes and replicates uh, into right. and and can continue on. So, really, a virus is li- alive,
1: isn't it? Oh, you'll you'll find dissent on that one. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, <laughs> um, I think. Oh well. I I I don't think there's a discrete boundary between non life and life. So it's it's I just can't imagine I can't
0: picture that. I mean, how can something be kind of not kind of in both worlds? I I
1: Well, for instance for instance, when I'm teaching cell biology, we, we boil everything down to, for instance, basic metabolism. That you can, you know, if you talk to a biochemist, if you talk to a cell biologist, Uh, they will be able to sketch out on a napkin all these diagrams of, you know, like the Krebs cycle, pyruvate, and all this other stuff working together. Um, And when you look at that biochemistry, it's a series of self-sustaining chemical reactions. And when viewed abstractly, it doesn't look like something that's alive. It's a little chemical machine, and we can pull out these components um, and what we think is going on is that in the early history of life, there's a lot of bumbling about, where different different places that were generating life different, solved different parts of the problem, and then it was a convergence, an assembly of these different components that led to what we would then call cellular life. So uh, to get more specific, so we've got we've got basic met- metabolic processes like. Glycolysis, mm-hmm. which probably primarily ran in reverse during early life, where what you're doing is taking small compounds and assembling sugars. So gluconeogenesis. Uh, you've also got fatty acid synthesis that's going on. And again, we we in the, in teaching this stuff and working in the lab, we can pull these individual components out, and we can make them work in a test tube. So they're all cranking around these things, and, and what made for life. Was when, for instance, you brought those two processes and many others together, and you use fatty acid synthesis to build a little bubble of membrane that enclosed the metabolic processes. Now, was it alive before the bubble formed? Was it alive before the metabolic processes were going on and you just had a membrane as bubble oozing out of some deep sea vent? No, it took, it took all of these things coming together to assemble something that we would recognize as life. Uh, and then, of course, natural selection takes over, and now that's all you find is things that have all the components of life because that's what's best at competing with others, other, other things that are collecting energy.
0: And is, is that what we find evidence of when we say that we've, you know, these earliest forms of life on earth were these, is that we, we see these fossils of, of cellular life. Is that what we I don't know. Is bacteria yeah. uh, a, a good example or is it is that too complex at this stage? Right. No,
1: that, uh, so if you're, if you're talking about fossils, yeah, that's, you're only going to find fossils of cellular life and they're going to be rare and difficult to find okay so there's you know because we're talking about very tiny things that live three and a half to four billion years ago so no you're not going to find a lot of those Uh, but also what we find is uh, you know real early life researchers are looking for things like smears of carbon right you're finding a deposit that's just that's just enriched for certain chiralities of carbon because that and, might
0: be a some of this precursor life we're talking about the, the, the metabolic uh the, the the replicators and the metabolic um, life that you mentioned exactly earlier. yeah uh,
1: that 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 finding that kind of chirality tells you that because most physical processes don't care about the chirality if what, you it, what's chirality mean Handedness, so oh, okay. right-handed versus left-handed chemicals, and what you find is, you know, if you just have a purely physical process, and it's generating a smear of things like pyruvate, you get both handedness mixed in equally. Uh, if you've got a cell that's doing it, you find one handedness, because cells are very specific in which molecules they will use, so they they'll build all one-handed sorts of molecules, uh, and so if you find a if you find this bland, horrible, you know no physical features, smear of <laughs> carbon, and you analyze it and you discover, "Oh, it's all left-handed," that tells you it was probably produced by an organism
0: that's that's amazing i never would i mean on the one hand it's boring to see that but then if you know the context of what you're looking for this could be quite astonishing um, yes i mean and think you
1: can do th- you can do further things like try and figure out well what molecules are here um uh, again you have to take into account the fact that these these molecules have been degrading for three billion years or more four billion years uh but yeah you can you can also make some extrapolation about what kinds of molecules so okay. i mentioned for instance pyruvate pyruvate is thought to be right there at the heart of much of metabolism so you know we found evidence of ancient pyruvate
0: pyruvate is a compound what?
1: it's a it's pyruvate is a three carbon molecule that's kind of at the heart of a lot of metabolic processes okay so you know when when you've got um uh, Friends, we got a six carbon sugar and you're going to break it down. This happens in your body all the time. First thing that happens, you take that six carbon sugar, you split it in half, you get two, three carbon molecules, and they all get converted to pyruvate and then get pushed into various energy producing pathways.
0: I'm probably creating more pyruvate than I should, but um, yeah, (laughs) it's, uh, yeah, okay, good. Well, uh, all right. So the earlier, this is amazing. So the early Earth uh, had all of these building these this this environment that allowed this chemistry to exist and yours and this happened really soon as soon as we were able yes. to get oceans as water, soon as we pulled oceans.
1: yeah yeah that these these reactions are probably going on
0: and and say the earth has been around at say a billion or so years we start to maybe even more a uh, billion and a half we might see some evidence of a fossil record in, in the term in the form of cellular life
1: yeah so I'm trying to the, you know the, the ancient fossils of bacteria are kind of kind of iffy um, but yeah it's probably safe to say that three and a half billion years ago we had fossil we had bacteria thriving on the planet.
0: Okay, Tardigrade, I see your comment. I'm going to ask him about that in just a minute. It's on my list because I, I want to know too. <laughs> uh, but I want to finish this particular discussion here. That was somebody in the chat there who's been asking that question for a while, so I want to make sure I acknowledge that. Uh, the – the so the – simple you, – it, you're going to the fact that this – going back to the idea that this is probably a common event on anything that has these kinds of conditions in them. uh, This, this step, none of this is very particularly hard in your viewpoint. Then we can, we can make this progression through the spectrum of, of all of these uh, uh, compounds and everything else until we get to something that's life and eat. But the, even the step to sell your life is not a hard one in your opinion or as the research. Not, well, shows.
1: you see, as as you go up the hierarchy, there you go from the early early formation of just simple compounds. We'd say, oh yeah, that's that's ubiquitous. If if you can make aldehydes in space, if you can make sugars in space, sure, that's going to be universal. So we kind of expect we'll find that everywhere if we ever get out to other planets, we'll find these basic building blocks. But then we get into the complexities of in, you know, building these up into macromolecules, and eventually getting to the point where we've got you know free living organisms. There, it's starting to get trickier. And we, we you know, biologists will often tell you about the, pro- the dilemma of chance versus necessity. That the building blocks of life are the product of necessity. That that's that's just what chemistry does. You just let chemistry do its thing, and it will synthesize all these complex and interesting molecules. But then as you go farther up that scale, there's more and more opportunity for chance to play a role. And so, you know, you It's not,
0: do, so it is not a given then.
1: It is not a given, no. That this no, works. you know, we don't, we don't know. You know, it could be that it was just really this fortuitous piece of luck that allowed life on earth to assemble membranes and organelles and metabolism and bring them all together and succeed okay so all right so you know when we when we go to europa that europa will be the really interesting case because what we expect is all you need is an energy source and that moon has it and you need these aqueous environments with dissolved organic compounds in them, and they're probably there. But then the question is, where do you go from there? Um, how far has the chain of life uh, be- proceeded on a planet or a moon like Europa?
0: Okay. Well, I want to get to Tardigrade's comment and question because I, I want, it's, a next, it's a good progression from here. What role then do you think panspermia plays in, uh, on life? On, let's talk about life on Earth here. Uh-huh. Uh, this idea that maybe these compounds came from, or even life came from somewhere else and got deposited here. Is that a, is that a big area of discussion in biology or is it?
1: No, because no? I, most of us don't accept it. Oh, but, really? You know, yeah. I mean, as I said, those organic compounds are forming in space, but space is really, really big and really, really empty. Mm-hmm. And so the amount of this material being deposited on the earth is relatively minuscule. Well, I think
0: the idea comes from if you look at how solar systems and planets form, they start with these big gas clouds that coalesce into protopla- or to, to protoplanetary disks, and then the star forms, mm-hmm. and then debris disks form, and then planets come from that. And from that initial huge volume of gas, there might be things in there. Uh, yeah. But I, you know, which I, I imagine would would fall into comets and then eventually start distributing itself, at least in the local area around that solar system. Right.
1: But, it, but as I mentioned earlier, what we're really interested in is not uh, the soup, that we made a soup and then things spontaneously formed it, but that there's a process. Right, right. And that, that panspermia is not a good, robust process for introducing new compounds into the early Earth. Interesting. Wow. That a better, better strategy is to identify you know, energetic processes in places like deep-sea vents, that are constantly producing these things. And also because they're localized, you get a high concentration of them.
0: But even Uh, then, even then with all that stuff, the the concentrations, the localization of all these chemicals and compounds and the energy sources, and you get something that replicates and metabolizes, you do not necessarily get anything higher than that. Uh, That chance has a bigger role to play. Environment would have a bigger role to play. so maybe I wasn't so wrong in saying that it's hard. I was just wrong at what stage I was yes. wrong. I thought spark of life, that's to go from something that isn't alive to something that is alive is hard. But that's not so that's not necessarily true.
1: No, not necessarily right. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, you know, okay, if fine. if we could visit another planet that has the conditions for life, um, you know, if if we just went zooming out there and our faster than light spaceships and started visiting all these different worlds, we probably find lots where the conditions are suitable for life, but that life has not progressed beyond, for instance, the prokaryotic stage. I see. Or even something... And I
0: agree, I agree now what you say about Europa, yeah. how important that is, because that would be a definitive answer to that question. At least we'd have two data points instead of one. Yes. About the And it's one that's
1: reachable, unlike distant stars. So uh, it would be really cool to look into that. I'm, I'm sure people are thinking about that. Um, we're working on Mars right now. Yeah, okay? is that a
0: surprise to you? Is Mars a surprise that it or, or, does it make sense that you wouldn't see much yet? Or maybe it's just because we haven't looked well enough.
1: We haven't looked well enough. Okay. That's that's one condition. Uh, but you know the fact that there was that it was warmer and there was water long long ago. I kind of expect that maybe maybe there was something going on. Uh, but again, this will be an interesting test case because I've just been telling you that we we really think that deep sea events and geothermal activity are really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much of that did a smaller planet like Mars have? Maybe Mars did not have that mass that allowed for interesting volcanic sorts of activity to occur in an aqueous environment
0: and it's certainly true that it, at least now and i think in the most of its life it has not been very geologically active um it it, so that's part of its uh maybe a detriment to, to it forming there maybe there weren't a lot of places where that energy source could be Utilize. Yes, so, so I think
1: we'd say, you know even as biologists, we'd say, you know we're really dependent on complex geochemistry. We really need that in order to get life started okay and um, so may, maybe there's a threshold to planet size for where you get that? I don't know um, maybe you need you know maybe you need special conditions, like I mentioned Europa, which has got all this these tidal forces that are generating energy deep in the moon's core. Uh, that's a source of energy. Maybe that's an alternative way to get it so you can have a smaller place with that going on.
0: And I'll tell you an important caveat here with looking at these deep sea vents versus looking just on the surface of a planet is the atmosphere that may or may not exist isn't a big factor in this in this situation where you've got deep sea vents underneath an ocean. Whether or not there is an atmosphere over that planet and its composition isn't as important, although it's hard to have oceans without an atmosphere. Uh, right. But it, it, what it is and what it's made of may not necessarily matter, nor it seems to me that the activity level of that star would make as much of a difference. Let's say you, you're orbiting a planet is formed. It's, let's say it's a super Earth, twice the size of Earth. Uh, maybe, maybe 10 times the mass of the earth and it's got an atmosphere and it's got oceans, uh, but it's orbiting a red giant, or I'm sorry, a red dwarf star. And that star is spewing out all kinds of radiation Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have as big an impact, would it? No, it wouldn't because it's not deep in the ocean floor. So later on, it might have a, if there's some amphibians that want to get up on land, that might be a problem, (laughs) but, but at least, at least starting life wouldn't necessarily be all that affected by the conditions yes. of the solar system. Yes.
1: So you know, I, I, would, I would expect that if out there in the galaxy, there's all kinds of weird exotic environments where life of a very different sort from ours got to start. But then, like you mentioned, what happens when it reaches, you know, if it reaches a multicellularity sort of pattern of organization and then what does it, what is it able to do? And that's going to vary with the environment. So
0: amazing. I am so happy. Okay. Now let me ask you this opinion. Let's move it. Let's expand our conversation just a little bit. Talk about exoplanets. (laughs) I don't know how much you follow this, but lately uh, we all know with Kepler space telescope and, and uh, a lot of the ground-based efforts that we now know that there are on average 1.6 planets around every star in our galaxy. Uh, There are more planets in our galaxy than there are stars. That's a big deal to a lot of us, and, we've, they, and astronomers have gone to great lengths to say not only are there there's these, there's like seven planets around TRAPPIST-1, five of which could be Earth-like and blah, blah, blah. What is your opinion of what astronomers call a habitable planet? And for the, just to, to, for the context, astronomers say there's a possibility of habitability if it is in a region around the star where liquid water could form. What is your yes. opinion of that definition of a habitable planet? That
1: their their definition of habitability really is is human centric. It's it's where we could live possibly. So by um, habitable,
0: it's like human habitable habitable.
1: Yes, right. Um, you know, for example, there's it's not as well known, but um, Stanley Miller, you know, Miller-Urey fame, also did another experiment that he didn't really see the conclusion to because he died before he finished. Uh, In addition to this experiment where he threw lots of things into a hot environment with sparks flying and everything, uh, he also took a bunch of these precursor compounds and threw them in a deep freeze and let them just sit there for 40 or 50 years. And when those were analyzed after after the fact, they discovered that uh, spontaneously some more complex compounds had formed. Very similar to what he saw in... In, During the
0: hibernation period, uh, uh, the cryogenic period.
1: So, you know, these reactions would occur very, very slowly, of course. But it's saying that you can get these spontaneous formation of compounds at temperatures, you know, hundreds of degrees below freezing even, that you can have a really cold place. um, And it would greatly slow down the rate of formation. But you could still imagine it might happen. So some really ancient red dwarf might might have slow moving life on it we don't know
0: wow okay well one more question and i want to take some comments and questions from our our audience but uh what is your opinion on the ubiquity of life in the universe do you think and i mean i don't mean just oozy replicating things i mean i mean multicellular complicated life
1: uh, in the universe,
0: do you think that it's common or do you think that it's rare?
1: Uh, well, as he mentioned, I know there are some conjecture. Many, you know, there's a lot of planets and there's a lot of stars. So, what do you mean by common? By you know, well,
0: that's just it. <laughs> I, I think it's not a numbers game. I, I do not think life is common in the universe. And by life, I mean life, I mean bacteria on up. I think that that it is not a given that it's just going to pop up. Carl Sagan said this, right? You know, given the right conditions Mm -hmm. up, it pops. That's what he said. Well, not so fast. Um, There just because there are almost a trillion stars in our galaxy and there are 60% more stars in our, I mean, planets in our galaxy than there are stars does not mean just because there's so much of it out there that we're going to, of course, it must be. I used to think this. I used to be in that group where, you Uh know, of course, it must be, right? I mean, there must be life out there. Just so many. you got, you know, what's the chances of us being the only ones where this happened? Well, I think there there could be a case to be made. If you, some people, you know, do a kindergarten plug and play of the Drake equation and come up with some number of civilizations, well, you know, that you, that's easy to do, but it's also very misleading and very simplistic. Yeah. There's a there lot are so
1: many completely on. unknown variables in the Drake equation. You can make it spit out any number you want. Exactly. So exactly. there's no point to it. Um, what would I say? I, well, again, if I if I imagine us being somehow traveling to other stars and traveling <laughs> faster than like visiting all these places, um, I kind of suspect that life might be fairly common, because chemistry is universal, but that, um, as human beings, we'd probably be disappointed with most of it, that we'd find you know, some goo in an ocean or a slime on, on rocks growing somewhere, and that's kind of the limit of where it's gone. Uh, but there are so many steps to reaching our level of organization that it's unlikely that very many planets have done that. And which... I also make the case that, you know, if, if you're thinking about intelligent life, that's even more likely, be, less likely, because here we are on a planet that's had life on it for three billion years. And we've only got a few species that have approached anything even close to our level of intelligence. So, so we've been running this experiment for three billion years. And we've got one technological civilization out of it. And it's not sure how, not certain how much longer it will survive.
0: <laughs> That's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, there, there doesn't seem to be any prime selection going on for intelligence in the universe. And I would also say that you know, if if you look at all the different levels, there is no particular selection for multicellularity. For instance, that the majority of life on this planet is unicellular, and the majority of that life is prokaryotic. So yeah
0: uh... well, that yes, and I think we are on the same page there that yeah. it, it is not at all obvious and not at all a given that just because there is a lot of something like planets out there, a lot of opportunities for uh life to arise that it actually did in fact, there are a lot of ways, probably just as many ways to stop life from getting to this point as there are ways as there are planets in the galaxy, so Correct. it is entirely understandable and even probable that we that that we could be it as far as the level that we've gotten to and yeah uh we just don't know enough yet so
1: so let, let me just add one other thing though is that you know, i mentioned earlier this distinction between chance and necessity mm-hmm. and we think a lot of the things that led to our kind of life are chance-based that we're just we're lucky to be here mm-hmm. but really there is some dissent in the biological community about this For instance, Simon Conway Morris is a very well-known, very well-respected paleontologist who thinks that human-like life is inevitable, that chemistry will constantly work to generate people sort of like us. And he has actually predicted that if you go to other planets, not only will we find life, we will find bipedal humanoid life that drinks tea.
0: Wow. What does he base that on? (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's that he likes to argue that there's you know there's very various instances of convergence in evolution, and so he likes to argue that there are various things that are inevitable, like carnivory is inevitable, so why not intelligence being inevitable? you just give it life enough time it will generate that um I think he's totally wrong on that.
0: There's absolutely no evidence to support it.
1: <laughs> that it's well, inevitable. except, like I said, the convergence argument that, that maybe that, yeah, there that is, is, maybe there is some necessary force to life and evolution that leads to progressive acquisition of intelligence of some sort. And he just goes, you know, even a step further and says it's going to produce life like us. Uh, I, I don't believe a word of it. It's not but... yeah, it's
0: not very convincing, is it? Only because if that were even part you know, if that were true, that it was basically necessary, then then we once life forms that we get to this stage, then the numbers game does matter. Because imagine one point six trillion opportunities for this to happen, surely then. If 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 it is necessary that bipeds uh will will develop, then surely then a civilization will come at least one more, uh, besides ours. Then the numbers argument might have some sway, but it's not convincing the way uh, no, it's, it's No, it's not
1: convincing me either because, you know, I look at the diversity of life on this planet and yeah. earth did not produce lots and lots of bipedal intelligent creatures. It produced lots of creatures with six legs or eight legs or 10 legs. Mm-hmm. And it produced lots of different strategies for living, uh, this particular one that we follow is weird. Yeah. It's unique to us on this planet. So why would we expect it to be ubiquitous in others? But I just mentioned it because I don't want to give the impression that I am the sole arbiter of what biology thinks about this. There are people who have very different opinions. Oh, too. sure.
0: Sure. Well, I'm glad you did. Yeah. That. And, and that's important to do. I, I, I could talk about this all day, but let I me mean, just ask you one, this, this, you reminded me of a question when it comes to life on earth, Um, What is the general consensus of what, I mean, is there kind of an intelligence measurement for the different species on earth? If you don't know the answer to that, that's fine. I I, I Uh, mean, what are we classifying as an intelligent animal uh, besides ourselves? And, and maybe the primates, I'm thinking whales and dolphins. Are
1: they smart? Are they? Octopus. Octopus. Yeah. There are birds, you know, like um, the corvids are pretty smart. Uh,
0: so, and are they primary? So, would, would it be, is there a consensus on where that intelligence is? Is it on the land? Is it in the water?
1: Well, given that we've got octopus and cephalopods, octopus and whales as one example, and we've got some birds and primates on the land, no, that doesn't seem to be the primary distinction at all. Okay. But, uh, what, what it seems to be is, um, one one argument is that it's it's a situation where if you've got a complex ecosystem, you have to negotiate that you will develop you know these manipulative c- capabilities, you know perceptive com- capabilities, and all those come together to produce a flexible, sophisticated sort of intelligence. Okay. But again, there's so many different ways that that could happen. I mean. Corvids and octopuses are different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're not coming together anytime soon, and they have different potential for a future, you know, evolution of intelligence.
0: Okay, um, I suppose we should briefly talk a little bit about the 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 chemistry of the chemistry basis of life, because I always get this question when we talk about we're looking for life in the universe. People are people get angry at astronomers who say, well, we're looking for conditions of, of, of Earth and we're looking for signs of of, of biosignatures, things that, you know, like methane in the atmosphere, certain albedos of the planets and all kinds of things that could be considered biosignatures is what they call them. And people get a little bit irritated. They go, why are we doing this? Why aren't you know who says that life has to be carbon based? Why can't it be based on something else? Because Star Trek says it can be based on something else. So why can't it be? So let me ask you, PZ, can it be based on something else besides carbon?
1: Oh, well, okay. Again, that's, that's one of the things where you will find people disagreeing. But the basis of the disagreement is that we don't know enough about non-carbon-based chemistry. That you know, here on planet Earth, uh, other kinds of chemistries just aren't as flexible, as, as variable as carbon chemistry. And that's really so,
0: important, the flexibility.
1: Yes and so uh, maybe there are some unique situations out there where you know the silicon-based chemistry is more practical uh, but you know we'd say here on earth no it's not so if we're looking for if we're looking for earth-like worlds and we're looking at things where the astronomers will say, well this looks habitable over here it's going to be habitable to our kind of life but maybe maybe there's some other mysterious kind of life like for example silicon-based that needs a higher temperature. And if in this little band over here, we might find that more often, but we haven't. So okay, that one's even
0: more speculative than what I've been talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> I know it is. I, I wanted to throw it out there because yeah. I wanted to get your take on that question because I get it quite a bit. Um, okay, I don't know. Have you been looking at your chat, um, PZ, to see? Yes. Okay, do you have any questions you'd like to bring up? Or well, for,
1: for instance, somebody just mentioned that any chemical that can make change should be a viable basis for life. And that may be so that that if you can synthesize polymers, then maybe because then you'll get more variability in the structures. You'll have all these complex compounds you can play with. Uh, so maybe there are, maybe there's a case for that. But again, show me that. For instance, silicon has that capability. Mm.
0: Okay. Uh, Nestle Twenty on Mike's channel is commenting: Deep astronomy. Life isn't distinct from non-life. Uh, life is an emergent phenomenon of chemistry. Well, I just learned that today. Uh, and I, 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 take, I definitely agree with that now. I understand my mess. I mean, I had preconceptions. For me, it was always a spark. And that, that just isn't the case. Um, uh, okay, so uh, ask, Ascano Vitale is asking, does this theory analyze the potential of finding extremophiles relying on geothermal energy and water? In environments such as Europa and Enceladus, I think we just answered that. Actually, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I'm going back to my my chat. Um,
1: Let's see. I got uh, Jacob Spraga is asking: Is there any ongoing experiments trying to simulate, recreate the mentioned deep sea, con- deep sea conditions? And yes, there are. Um, there's a whole bunch of experiments where you ch- you take common compounds and you subject them to high pressures and temperatures. And, you know, you basically you put them in, in a bomb and crunch them down really hard um, and ask what's synthesized there. Because like the Miller-Urey experiment, that was done at you know, surface pressure, which is pretty light. Um, and yes, they are finding, they do that kind of experiment, they find you get more complex compounds generated under conditions of extreme pressure. So, yeah, there's stuff like that going on.
0: And these are extremophiles. We call them that, right? So the things that are form in these vents and are near these vents.
1: Uh, well, again, that's a relative definition. <laughs> uh, we would die instantly if we were in these conditions. Well, so we, maybe
0: you should tell us what an extremophile is, in your opinion, or in your. Okay, an,
1: an, an extremophile is an organism that you find living in. Um, uncomfortable conditions for typical life something that you know in conditions that would kill e coli would kill people uh, and it can be lots of different things it can be conditions of extreme ph uh, it can be uh, conditions of extreme saltiness or it can be conditions of extreme temperature or pressure so uh, all that stuff that we consider living at on the fringes of what we consider normal uh but there may be a lot of there there are a lot of extremophiles out there. So it's it's kinda like from their perspective, we're the ones living in this weird cold, low pressure environment. They're they're in the happy hangout.
0: <laughs> they're in the happy hangout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh uh I, so that goes on to uh Ascano Vitale who was commenting, so we all came from extremophiles, and I guess the answer is yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. So. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, because the, the uh, original organisms that we would have evolved from, for instance, uh, would have found oxygen toxic. So,
0: yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Superluminal on Discord is asking How could metabolites possibly self replicate and grow in size and complexity? Isn't transient hydrogen bonding necessary for replication? And therefore, nucleic acid chains are prime candidates for progenitor molecules. I did not understand what I just read.
1: Yeah, well, nucleic acid chains are long and complicated. And one of the problems with uh, old theories like the RNA world is that uh, RNA breaks up pretty easily. So does DNA, that these things would tend to disintegrate. So what they argue is that uh, there had to be a prior conditions where you're working solely with simpler molecules. Now, things like dipeptides or dinucleotides as, at the most complex that then work together to create an environment that was protected in which longer chains could survive.
0: Huh. Yeah. Okay, so that goes back to... So the RNA ideas; those are falling out of favor for the early life.
1: Uh, not exactly. They're they're just a different stage of of life. Okay. So um, yeah. So the the RNA world hypothesis is not invalid. It's just it's probably a later point in the evolution of life than the stuff we're talking about. Uh, the the primary alternative hypothesis right now is called the metabolism first hypothesis. And that's the one that's endorsed by people like Bill Martin and Nick Lane, who've been publishing lots of stuff on it. Um, and that's the one that argues that what, what would have come first is simpler metabolites, which again, makes sense. We love the idea of the simpler building blocks coming before the complicated building blocks. And so metabolism first says, yeah, first you build a basic metabolism, that generates energy and that generates simple compounds. And then you've got the ability to build more complex compounds on that foundation.
0: Okay, well, Superluminal also d- I wanted to comment that he disagrees. He says shorter chains are relatively simple and somewhat stable. So that's-, uh, that's his why,
1: why is that a problem? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm <laughs>
0: just reading the comment because I am out Yeah, of- I mean,
1: because <laughs> simpler chains, we, we we can do experiments now with simpler chains. And for instance, Dipeptides have catalytic activity that you can make random dipeptides. And what you find is each unique dipeptide will have unique catalytic abilities.
0: Okay. Uh, Any other questions from your chat?
1: Let's see. I'm still, Let's see. Brian. I got lots of comments. Go ahead and read them. Uh, so,
0: yeah, uh,
1: ribose already exists without life, so it would be a good starting block. And that was kind of the point I was making, is that in things like these carbonaceous chondrites and the Miller-Urey experiment, you get these things forming spontaneously all the time. So that's, that's a good starting block. Um, another question, what about a manned mission to Mars? Would it contaminate biotest sites, especially a massive scale as SpaceX is planning? Ooh. Okay, did he
0: say would it contaminate sites? Is that what he said?
1: Yeah, uh, he, because we'd be dropping our. It bacteria. absolutely is
0: going to contaminate Mars. Going yeah. there is going to absolutely screw <laughs> it up. So we need to get the question of whether it's there naturally out of the way now, because the minute yes. we start sending people there, it's going to be a mess. You don't think Elon Musk is going to actually pay attention to no. these this, the space treaties that have been put up about keeping you
1: know things contaminant free? No, right, gonna, or that movie The Martian. For the guy is just pooping all over the place, I'm, just, yeah. I'm looking at this with horror. You so, have just contaminated the entire planet.
0: The minute we get there, all bets are off. You're not going to know. Yeah. I mean, who knows? There'll be bacteria and slime everywhere because that's what we secrete just by being alive. So we're, it's going to be all over the place. So. Yeah,
1: one one good question would be. Do the probes we have there now already contaminate everything? Well, they're not supposed to. Uh, not NASA, supposed to I've right? had
0: I've had the planetary protection officers in hangouts before, and they've told me the the, the pains with which they go through baking and 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 building these instruments okay. and clean rooms uh, to you know even Mars Insight, which just landed a couple days or yesterday, uh, they go through this you know trouble of saying it's completely contaminant free. But they what I don't recall is to what the error there they're saying that this is true uh and and who knows i mean it's possible some kind of contamination can easily get in there maybe
1: maybe just the extremophiles are making it on the space
0: yeah but even so though let's 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 push that a little bit even if they did land on the surface and we contaminated with our contaminated probes they're not going to have the sources of energy and protection that they're going to need to really thrive it sounds to me like if because what about the role of radiation and pressure on early yeah. life if you don't have it can you still get it if you if you don't have the protection i guess i'd call it of these thermal vents deep in the ocean
1: right yes
0: and yes you can get it
1: uh no i would think no you couldn't and but that and another issue of course is uh life on earth is adapted to life on earth and yes. you throw it onto the marsh and surface and there's nothing to eat. There's, you know, it it would be like throwing us onto the surface. Um, we just couldn't make it.
0: And that's another whole different topic for me, as is, is is the health effects of being out in space. But yeah, I, yeah. I hear you. So we, and that's an important point. Life on Earth has evolved to a life on Earth, and that sending it somewhere else, who knows what could happen. Um, and that goes to your point, uh, Ascanio, about solar flares and cosmic radiation as a cofactor to assemble building blocks i would say it's not uh you need to be in fact you would need to be away from that stuff if so how does this relate to the case of covered oceans we talked about that with europa and enceladus so yeah so i think i think this issue of solar or stellar activity early in life's formation isn't as big a deal early mm-hmm. on as it is when it's trying to get out of those oceans and and maybe do something a little bit more than just ooze around on a rock somewhere.
1: Right. And this may also be a factor in, in why life arises in oceans is because, you know, Darwin speculated about a warm, shallow pond, but a warm, shallow pond on the early Earth was is going to be getting cooked mm. and things aren't going to thrive in there. But deep down, you've got a more consistent environment.
0: Man, that is, yeah. I have learned so much from about this now. I feel much more comfortable in talking about this origin issue because uh, it is ubiquitous, it sounds like. In, in fact, we could even say inevitable. Could could we say that as one of our conclusions here? Up to a yes. point, uh, you're going to get life. We don't
1: know what that point is, is the other problem. that That we know chemistry is universal, where we expect under the right conditions you're going to get these early prebiotic, chemical reactions going on, but when does chance take over and we require luck to get it beyond that? We don't know. No idea.
0: And that's why these other probes that go to places like Enceladus and Europa could be quite um could be quite informative in, in helping us change oh, yeah. that. Because we really do need more data points, don't we? Earth isn't enough. We know what happens right. here,
1: but we need more, don't we? And also, also on Earth, of course, the other factor is that the initial success of successful life just took over. And you can't get new life arising here because existing life will eat it. Oh, interesting point. So, so once it's yeah. kicked
0: off, the, the early stuff
1: is, is hard to come by again. Right. So life changes everything in its environment. So who knows? All right, well, uh, me, go ahead.
0: I just wanted to ask you, let me, let me finish this, hangout out with, with the question. If you could design an experiment to send to another planet, whether it's Mars or Europa, what would be the thing that you would want to see? What how, what, what experiment would you design?
1: Oh, there wouldn't be just one.
0: <laughs> okay, but, but this is funded by NASA, and you're only given
1: one. <laughs> oh. oh, so for instance, they're, they're providing me the probe, and they're going to drill down beneath the ice, of Europa, what do you want to know? That's right. What do I want to know. Oh, that's a good question. That's a hard question. Oh. Um, you know what? I, what I would be looking for is—is is I would want to be doing a chemical analysis for degradation products.
0: For degradation that, of what?
1: Uh, of various compounds. Oh, okay. So what I what I want to know is, do we see signs that there are? compounds characteristic of our kind of life that are present in that solution that are, you know, byproducts, you know, like if, if you go there and you find urea, that would be kind of cool. Um, although urea can also be generated, you know, spontaneously. But it's By mostly u- a
0: byproduct of biology. It's a biosignature,
1: right? Yeah. And, you know, the quantities we make now are a byproduct of biology. Uh, urea is probably not a good, the best example, but there, you know, there are other complex compounds I'd kind of like to look at. Uh, and that would be the first step. And then we get the billion dollars to go back and do a deeper analysis.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, that's great. Okay. Well, I, (laughs) I heard the bad news. Well, the good news is that Europa Clipper is still going to get funded, but the that's, uh, but the one that actually lands on Mars or on Europa is up in the air. The, uh, Oh. The funding for that, so it may not happen. But the one that orbits Europa yeah. is still a go, uh, but not necessarily the lander. So
1: it's, it's we'll a difficult to... problem because I suspect the surface of Europa is sterile; that it's just been baked and it's not conducive to life. And we're going to have to get down deep.
0: Yeah, yeah. and We didn't even talk yeah. about effects of magnetic fields on 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 planets and life, but we're in, in the stage we're talking about, which is the earliest stages of life. I think that's kind of a non-issue at this point, especially because right. this is not going to happen if it's not protected some way. Um, otherwise, if it's baked or fried or, or, or boiled, it's not necessarily these these compounds aren't going to form. It sounds to me like is yeah. that safe to say? So,
1: yeah, the the only interesting thing would be is you know if if there's something analogous to tectonic processes on the surface of a moon like Europa that's constantly pushing up material from deeper that we could then analyze, but we'd need to understand the hydrology and geology of the moon before we could find it. Okay.
0: All right. Well, I will stop there. I do, Did you have any last minute questions from your chat that you wanted to read? Otherwise I'll close I'll close this out.
1: That, I think yeah, there's lots of comments there, but uh, yeah,
0: I'm yeah. getting a lot of comments too. I can't read them all, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's something they have in a little conversation about this as well amongst themselves. So yeah, That's really cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll stop there. PZ, thank you so much for taking time out to talk. Oh, it's about been it. great. Towards yeah, you. let's do it again. Okay. Well, <laughs> you said it. I, okay. Because I want to talk about all kinds of things. There's you know, evolution topics and, and life in the universe all over the place. So I want to definitely discuss this more. Thank you for being willing to do this. Uh, we will pick up again. I will make sure to let you guys know when. Tomorrow's Astro Coffee Hangout has been canceled. Carol, my co-host, could not find as a guest. So we're not going to meet tomorrow at on thursday but we will be back uh next tuesday for telescope talk uh for amateur astronomy and uh and and i don't know we'll i'll talk with pz about when we're going to do this again uh and uh, we'll stream on both channels when we do so and and look for all of our twitter feeds you guys know pz i'm deep astronomy everywhere twitch twitter uh facebook oh i forgot to look at facebook but um Okay, I didn't get any. I didn't get any comments anyway. So it, okay. on Facebook, because most of everybody was watching is on YouTube. <laughs> I'll also post the audio of this on my Deep Astronomy Podcast audio only part. So look for that as well coming in the next few days. Whew. So on behalf of PC Myers, uh, I want to thank everybody for watching, and as, and as always, keep looking up.